0: You've been a really good saver. You've sucked money away. You, you put it away in the 401k, you put it away in an IRA, you've been doing it for years, and of course you got a tax break for doing it. Now you're closing in on retirement. So all of a sudden you're starting to think, or maybe your, your accountant's starting to talk to you about diffusing a, a time bomb, a tax time bomb. That and more coming up on today's podcast.
2: Money Matters USA is also the name of the fiduciary firm founded and directed and managed by Fred Sade. Fred Sade, who has been in the financial services industry for years now and a financial fiduciary, a PhD in economics from Duke University, and he breaks it down on this podcast every week. Fred, you talked about the lump sum time bomb. (laughs) It's so true, though. Um, You know, it's almost like, we were really thought, yes, we're doing the right thing. We're going all tax deferred and it is the right thing for the now, but is it for the later? Can you be a little bit of a historian here for us at first? Because, because with 401k, um, for a long time, that's all, that's the only choice as far as 401k people had was tax deferred, right?
0: Yes. Yes. Um, the uh, the the IRA was a great idea, and then the Carter administration crushed up, down uh, on the the IRA. The, you know, this talk about history: <clears throat> the IRA was was a one thousand dollar contribution mm-hmm. during the Carter administration, and for most people, the thousand dollars you know di- didn't matter. So I can remember, you know, in the in the nineties uh, and the, you know, beginning of the 20 of the 21st century talking to uh, people, particularly business executives and say, yeah, I got a small IRA. I got a few thousand dollars in it. You know, I, I we just, you know, it, it, government policy was all over the place. I didn't even bother with it. I just put the money into the 401k and invested in the business. And, and, you know, that's, that's what, that's where my focus you know is and um, you know then then things things change. I don't think enough people take advantage of making uh, if they're eligible uh, and and they certainly are making a non-deductible contribution uh, to a four hundred one k or into a uh, into an IRA. And and I'm a great believer uh, in in uh, in doing that. Um, I think we have, I think there are a lot of reasons for doing that. Uh, you know this, this this whole idea of pushing RMDs out to 72, 75, uh, if the if the uh, if the they ever get around to passing the Secure Act 2.0, which I assume they will do, uh, since there seems to be bipartisan support. Uh, for it, um, you know, assuming they can, they can do this b- before we get a full blown election cycle. Of course, they could do it in a lame duck session too. But the thing of it is that the more you push out RMDs, the more likely it is that you're going to have a much, excuse me, larger residual estate. Maybe much bigger legacy than than you than you want, and um, the, the problem I think with the with the RMDs is twofold. One is there are a lot of studies. And not, there's no point in, in quoting which and what study, but there's enough body of academic studies that show that the majority of folks need the income and take it before the rmd age and so you're only talking about a very small segment of the population that doesn't need or want the the rmds so i don't think we're accomplishing anything uh, by having an rmd mandatory age why not just eliminate the the rmds people who need to draw early on will and those who don't won't until and they you know, can they control it
2: better they're not yeah, forced that's exactly
0: to- right i mean but right now let's just take it the way it is once you have to take rmds your tax bracket automatically puts you in the 22 percent bracket <laughs> And I, and I know that some people are going to disagree with me, so just bring it on if you want. And we're, we're happy to have all sorts of uh, comments and commentaries <laughs> on this. But, but automatically, you will, you will jump to the 22% bracket, and there is nothing, absolutely nothing, that you can do to get out of the 22% bracket. You could be higher than that, but you're not going to be less than the 22% bracket. So mm. all of the Roth conversion strategies... Have to occur before you become RMD eligible because once you get to it, it, it you know you're just going to increase your current tax burden uh, by by doing that. So uh, it, it, the other thing that I personally like, and we can talk about this later, uh, is, uh, is is why not take money out of the out of an IRA and convert uh, if you're going to live a legacy, convert to a non Qualified and after tax brokerage account. Because if you're leaving the asset there, it's going to get capital gains treatment. It's not going to be ordinary income. There's no holding period uh, at, at death. Uh, all, all assets are automatically stepped up uh, at, at death, and you get capital gains treatment. If, if you're leaving a qualified asset, you're going to take the decedent's basis, which is zero. Be- because it's never been taxed, so that's that's my screed on, 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 this. on, on this. But I, I think I think I'm in the right ballpark on this. Well, you know,
2: going back to history, I mean, Roth, for instance, goes back to its namesake, Senator William Roth and the Taxpayer yeah. Relief Act of 1997. So in, in the scheme of things, not that long. So a lot of people, uh, that was really tax deferred. Wasn't that it? That was their only thing they could do. Am I wrong? Yeah.
0: No, you're, you're not wrong. I, I happen to have had a very close friend. Uh, who went to school with uh, senator Roth and I got to meet senator Roth a number of times and, and get to know him and he was, he was he was really a terrific um, a terrific person and I thought he was a very very capable guy very very knowledgeable on tax matters and and really um, trying to to do some yeoman work to, to clean up the the IRS And, and then uh, he started to hold hearings on the IRS, and they didn't like it. So they offered him a deal. They, they, they were going to do this anyway. They were going to have this tax account, this mm-hmm. tax-deferred account, this after-tax account, whatever you want to call it. Um, and they said to him, if you stop the hearings, we'll name it after you, oh. and it will be the Roth IRA. <laughs> and, he, and so I, we were— uh, um his his buddy and i were, were having were having a phone conversation because um i was te- i was set to testify the next day at the hearing and 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 roth called to say that there wouldn't be a hearing that he's going to take the deal <laughs> Right. <laughs> so that's that's the backstory uh, on on oh, that's roth, cool on the roth ira
2: that's really cool well it definitely uh lives on uh through him in name and um we hope it stays around uh, we're going to oh, lo- yeah. look a little bit more at roth strategies coming up i did sure. want to ask you about one thing here fred um as far as your Medicare and how does it d- determine what you pay in premiums? yeah
0: you know, it's an interesting question. Um, once you once you start taking RMDs um, then the um, what's called Irma, the income related monthly adjusted amount that that goes up so it's 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 what you pay on Part B and that's means tested. Uh, and plus whatever you're paying for your supplement, wh- whatever it might, whatever it might be, and um, it's based on your income the, the year, the year before. So uh, the the higher the RMDs are, the more you're going to pay in the uh, in the surcharge. And uh, Part D is also means tested. Part D is for the prescription drugs. Um, so the high, higher income people are going to pay more. Low income people will pay less. And um, it, it's a really good idea, uh, again, if you're, if you're going to have a taxable event, either you're going to do a Roth conversion. And there are a lot of different ways of doing Roth conversions. I mean, these, these can be gamed out to figure out what, what will be the least harmful uh, to you. But, but you have to remember that you can you can do something and it won't impact you that year uh, it's, because it's based on the year before. Now, you can appeal uh, the, uh, the IRMA uh, surcharge. And if it's a one-time event, you sold your house, you had a big, you did a one-time huge Roth conversion, for example, or sale of a business or something that gave you a lot of ordinary taxable income, then you can successfully uh, appeal it. But uh, you need to be aware that that the IRMA charges and the Part D charges are means tested. And uh, the time time to make these tax moves are prior to the point at which you become RMD eligible, if you're going to make the, the moves. You mentioned um,
2: the you mentioned the original SECURE Act and then SECURE. I mean, you you actually mentioned SECURE Act 2.0, which has yeah. not yet passed, but it does Correct. enjoy bipartisan support, as you said. But the original SECURE Act eliminated the stretch IRA. Can you break down what that was and what the new rules are now?
0: Yeah, um, I'll try to do this uh, real, real simply. Uh Prior to the Secure Act, you you could you could uh, stretch out, and then, in other words, you, the stretch means you use the beneficiary directions so that the, the money could, could uh, be transported, and and uh, literally stretched out over more than one lifetime, and it was a way that you could do estate and legacy planning using qualified funds, and the uh, 2019 Secure Act. Uh, said that you basically had to consume the um, money in, a, in, a quali- in qualified plans and IRAs w- within 10 years. And um, there was some exception where, where a five-year rule applied, but f- for, for most people, it was, it was a 10-year rule. And then the IRS um, came out with, with regulations and they said, "Hey, folks, you you completely misunderstand what the what the rules are, and um, there's no such thing. Uh, it, it, well, I should say for certain people, like like a spouse, there are exceptions. There there, there are designated beneficiaries and non-designated beneficiaries. It made this really complicated, but the point is, there are certain people like like a like a spouse." Uh, disabled person, uh, a te- people who have a 10-year difference in, in age. For, these are just some examples, and I never quite understood the 10-year age difference. And I've heard different explanations for it, none of them convincing. But anyway, maybe not convincing to me, but anyway. But the thing of it is that you, you don't have RMDs anymore for non-designated beneficiaries. Unless the person who you had inherited from was already taking RMDs, <clears throat> excuse me, at the time of their death, if that was the case, you have RMDs. But leaving that aside, and and the other uh, designated beneficiary exceptions, then there is no RMD. You just have to empty the account out within uh, within ten years. Mm-hmm. Okay. So th- the IRS, those that's. That's what the IRS has, has told us that we misunderstood the rules and, and they're telling us what the rules are and that's the way it is.
2: Okay, that's so and that yeah and that is it currently the way it is. Um, now moving to strategies here. whether you're let's start with let' let's do two scenarios maybe. if you're still working but close to retirement, and then for those who are already retired, what can we do to lessen that time bomb, especially when you hit age 72, starting with someone, let's say they're seven years away from retirement, still working. Obviously, Roth is an option if your company, not all companies provide a Roth 401k. Is that right? Correct. That's correct. But if they do, should you do a blend of the two?
0: I'm not so sure. Um if you do if you do a Roth, uh, a Roth um, previously, if you did a Roth a Roth four hundred one k, the match did not apply. Companies have the uh, ability, if they wish, to extend the, the match to the Roth four hundred one k. They don't have to. Okay. The, but but the the rules on the Roth hundred one ks are different. Than the rules on the individual 401ks. And you ought to know what what those rules are, what the differences are be, before you make before you make the switch. I mean it's easy to make the switch. You, you tell payroll HR or if it's outsourced, you know, to make the switch for you, and, and it's done. But but you should understand that the rules are are different. The the withdrawal requirements are are different. The, the aging, the curing, the five year curing uh, rules are are different. And um, um, and uh, if, if you uh, are working, you know. And here's where it gets confusing. Let's say on the current law, you're working pr- past the age of seventy two. You have to you have to take a withdrawal from from your IRA but if you're less than a 5% shareholder and you're working you don't have to take a withdrawal for your for from the 401k the RMD rule will be will be waived but let's say that you're let's say that you're not and you have to take the um, the, the um, RMD the point is that you you can aggregate IRA, Withdrawals. In other words, let's say you have five IRAs. You can take what the enti- you figure it out for each of the five, or they figure it out for you, and you take it from one, and that's fine. You cannot aggregate 401k. So let's say you you've changed jobs a couple of times and you have multiple 401ks. You have to take a withdrawal. You have to take an RMD from every single one of them. That's a tax trap that 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 people uh, f- uh, forget about. Now, right now. Right now, the Trump tax cuts, uh, you know, are holding, and it depends on what happens uh, in the next election cycle. Democrats have already said that they that their object is to repeal the Trump tax cuts if they win control uh, of Congress uh, by a bigger majority uh, than they than they now have. So we'll have to see what. Uh, what happens? But if we assume that the tax cuts hold to, until the beginning of 2026 the end of 2025, and depending on who wins the White House, then we'll know uh, what what happens. Uh, and then, of course, there are income limits that that apply. So this is where I I just feel that one of the what if you have an HSA that is even better than a roth Mm -hmm. because you it's deductible going in it's not taxed while it's in the hsa and coming out it's not taxed there's no triple
2: tax yeah it's it's
0: triple deferred so there's nothing better uh than an hsa uh now when once you are medicare eligible you cannot contribute to the hsa but you can take money out of the uh hsa so it's it's very very uh attractive uh, but you have to have a high-deductible medical plan, and of course, you, there are no high-deductible medical plans when you are Medicare uh, you know, eligible. The other thing I, I do want to, want to say, uh, again, um, I, I mean, I'm repeating myself, but uh, I still think it's very, very important to consider um, uh, after-tax accounts and have a good blend uh, of those, especially if you want to leave a legacy. Uh, be, because of the fact that you get that capital gain and, and the step up in basis, uh, which you're not going to get with a, with a qualified account, and estate planning for legacy purposes is much more complicated. Uh, if you're trying to, if your primary assets are, are tax deferred accounts, I'm not saying it can't be done. It can be done, but it, but you, but it's it's much more complicated, and you and you need uh, capable. Uh, you need a very capable attorney who is who is familiar uh, with the rules and, and does this regularly. I mean, it's not like the surgeon who does, you know, one procedure a year. It's, it's somebody who does this constantly and mm-hmm. knows the rules. And so we're looking
2: at um, you can, if you're still working or if you have earned income, or you can contribute to a Roth, if you have it at work, Roth 401k. You could start a Roth IRA if you have earned income. I guess even if you've retired and you have a part-time job, but what about all that you have <laughs> built up? And a lot of people who are retiring now built up a lot before there was a Roth. I mean, so is that where yeah. that's where conversions come in? Then,
0: yeah, as long as you're doing these conversions before you're RMD eligible, uh, then then they make a lot of sense. There are a lot of different ways of doing conversions. There is not just one way. Uh, of doing it, but the point is, you want to do it before you have to take the the RMDs because uh, because your bracket goes up automatically into the twenty two percent bracket. There's nothing that you can do about it once you have to start drawing the the RMDs. Now you can take more than the RMD. Uh, you cannot. Use an RMD in a. You cannot take the RMD and put it in a Roth or start another IRA. You cannot do that. You, the tax has to be paid. But you can take more than, than the RMD and you can put the excess. Elsewhere, you could go into a Roth, you could go into an after-tax uh, brokerage uh, account, or an after-tax annuity, or whatever it is that you want to you want to do, or whatever that makes sense in in your in your situation. You you want you want to you want to get the better tax treatment uh, on the assets. You may also, if you're interested, if you're charitably inclined, or want to use charitable planning as part of your estate strategy. Then uh, child will remain the trust uh, can also be a very effective uh, technique that that can be that that can be used. So I mean there there are a lot of there are a lot of alternatives. Mm-hmm. But for God's sake, don't don't go on Facebook and, and uh, you know join some group whatever it might be and, and put your question out there you know and, and and wait for somebody to tell you what they did that work for them, uh, which may have no relevance uh, in your situation. This is where you need professional help. Well, a
2: fiduciary like Fred, who does know, and he's done this so long, he knows that he has to take a custom approach, and that's what he does with his clients. I invite you to visit the website MoneyMattersUSA.net and definitely click Red Light Program. You'll learn about Red Light on the dashboard to help make sure that you don't outlive your money you may be surprised to learn that inflation possibly is not the biggest threat to your retirement income. How could the tool used to combat inflation affect your retirement? That is straight ahead on Money Matters USA. Are you losing sleep over market volatility affecting your hard-earned retirement savings? You can't afford to lose a big portion of your nest egg with not enough time to recover. Many people want safety and the guarantee of principal, but also prefer the potential of higher growth with the market. And now, you can have both. Call Fred Sade at Money Matters USA at 800-593-8188. That's 800 593 8188. Back with Money Matters USA and Fred Sade. Fred Sade, who is a fiduciary, who is the founder and managing director of the firm of the same name, Money Matters USA, a fiduciary firm headed by Fred, who holds a PhD in economics from Duke University and is a licensed fiduciary and focuses on retirement strategies. So the information that he offers on this podcast is available to be offered to you and implemented the strategies in a custom fashion for you. And again, that number is 800-593-8188. 5938188. Well we're experiencing high inflation. We always have inflation uh, I like to use the analogy of people who a lot of people you' heard I'm sure you've heard them say I'm sick I have a temperature. Well you should be glad that you have a temperature. We all have a temperature you may have a fever and I think right. right now our economy has a fever and so what's being how is this fever being treated? and that rising interest rates. And Fred, uh, I think it's an interesting concept here, looking at inflation and rising interest rates and how they can both affect and have an effect on your retirement. We definitely are feeling inflation right now, but uh, will we feel rising interest rates later? I mean, I know you're going to break that down for us. Uh, Mm -hmm. in, In many ways, if you have the right strategies in place, they should be factoring in inflation, maybe kind of looking at an average, not always at 2% and certainly not always at eight,
0: 9%. Yeah. I mean, the, um, the, the federal, the federal reserves um, is telling us that, that we're going to have a lower amount of inflation by the end of this year. And that the neutral rate is 2%. That just is not a creditable uh, argument. I, I think we have, we have a lot of inflation that's baked in right now. And even if inflation comes down, it's still going to be at a fairly high rate. You have to remember that a lot of the spending that the Congress has authorized has to be appropriated uh, over a period of time. So you you have an enormous amount of inflationary stimulus that's going to go through uh, and into the system. We have a supply-driven inflation right now, and uh, the Federal Reserve cannot do anything about supply. The only thing it can do is kill demand. And so it's doing that, and it's starting to be... It's starting to be felt, so inflation may come down. But but nobody is going to buy a thirty-year uh, uh, treasury to get three percent, even a ten-year at a little over three percent. I should really look at my terminal right now and and see what the what the ten-year is uh, is looking at. So let me just do that and. Um, you know the ten-year right now, the U.S. ten-year is is at 3.32. The five-year is at 3.43. So we continue to have uh, interest rate uh, inversion, and um, that's that is not a healthy. It's not a healthy sign. And when we look at equity prices, they they're on the they're at the they're kind of on the low side, which is not. Uh, which is not looking, which is not a positive uh, for the economy. So what I'm saying is that I, I think that um, uh, that we're in for a double dip inflation. I, I think the Reagan period uh, is is instructive here, where we had we had a cycle of uh, recession, came out of it, and then we went into another recession. So, but because I I, I think we're gonna we're gonna have to live. Uh, as long as we have to live with, with the current policies, I think we're in for a period of, of inflation, deflation, inflation, deflation, oh, man. and that ultimately will lead to stagflation. So the question is, what do you do as an individual you know, to protect yourself? Now, I mean, if, if you're sitting there with your portfolio and your portfolio is down 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 points— and you're in your 60s, 70s, 80s, uh, and your advisor was telling you, "Don't worry, hold on." For what? What are you holding on for? Uh, you, I mean, one of the things that people won't do is recognize losses. I mean, it, this this is a time where you have to really look at what it is you're you're doing. Now, don't don't think that because you're not invested in, in Europe, that you aren't impacted by Europe. Europe has an energy crisis, self-inflicted energy crisis. They destroyed their energy. It made sense, I suppose. If you look at the German economy, they, they spent $2 billion, and they're going to leverage that up to uh, ultimately to $20 trillion. That That's an unbelievable investment for cheap Russian energy. Well, you're impacted. You're impacted by Europe, whether, whether you... Recognize it or not, because we're all inter, interconnected. So yeah. you really have to look at how do you how do you adjust your portfolio to protect your portfolio and also make it withstand uh, inflation. There are a number of theories about uh, about how to do that, but but a lot of that has to do with with, build, with building an inflation ladder, so that uh, you have different sources of income coming in at different levels. Now you can also supplement that. Uh, with with different kinds of annuities that, and there are different ways that annuities can counteract uh, inflation. So, I mean, you can you can build in a a, a step ladder, uh, that that will that will work. And you know, just just thinking of equities in a generic sense isn't isn't going to really help. At the beginning of the cycles, commodities work very well, and then they stop working well because as the economy slows, it, there's less need for commodities. The uh, research of uh, Dr. Horsmeyer, and I've mentioned Dr. Horsmeyer at—oh, um, now I've just forgotten which. Um, no, i uh, want to say at uh, George Mason uh, in uh, Virginia. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, ju- he just had an article—he he studies the impact of, uh, of inflation on equities. That's his specialty. And, and uh, in his latest uh, article, which appeared in a scholarly publication, but also appeared in the digital Wall Street Journal last week—not in the print edition—he uh, was saying that uh, people ought to be uh, looking uh, at uh, at income-based um, uh, equities. That that uh, that that's a better place to be uh, than certainly not in growth. Value has. Uh, you know, has some advantages, but but equi- but uh, income income based equities. Uh, his research shows that at this point it, well, to where we are, that that has uh, the best uh, that has the best performance. So um, I, I think all that that combination uh, makes uh, makes makes sense.
2: Uh, yeah, Derek Horsmeyer is professor of finance at George Mason. Uh, yeah. Definitely. You know, a lot of things I want to get your take on with interest rates and not only how they could affect us maybe in, in our retirement in the long term and where are we going with it. Before we get to that, though, here is Federal Reserve Bank of New York President John Williams talking to The Wall Street Journal and um, in outlining really what he believes needs to happen to get interest rates down.
0: We do need to get real interest rates. That's the interest rate adjusted for inflation above zero. Uh, we need to have a you know, somewhat restrictive policy to slow demand, and we're not there yet. Um, so, if you think about next year, if inflation is say somewhere between two and a half and three percent, a lot lower than now. But that's uh, kind of a forecast that I think is reasonable. You're thinking about having interest rates uh, that are uh, you know, well above that because it's the interest rate minus the inflation rate tells you what the real interest rate is. So we're so quite a ways from that.
2: Yeah, kind of to set it up, uh, going back to history again. Yeah. But you mentioned uh, the comparison of now to the late 70s, early 80s. And you um, And I I think we're more interconnected now than we were then, for one thing. We weren't coming out of a worldwide pandemic then, so I I don't think we really had the supply chain issues. And back then, the Fed chair was Paul Volcker, and Mm -hmm. he dramatically raised interest rates. So, I mean, first off, just looking at that and the actions and the remedy and really their only tool at their disposal, is Powell... Should he, I'm not to say this would be a good thing, but is he going too light? Did Volcker go too heavy? And is Powell going too light in your opinion?
0: Well, I, I, th- I think, uh, it's, to be honest about it, it, it's almost impossible to understand where Powell is on anything because he's changed his point of view so many, so many times. And, um, you know, you, you want, you want to say what, are, what, are the guideposts? What are the stakes in the ground? What, what what is it that we can hold on to and trust the Federal Reserve to do, and then we can protect ourselves accordingly? So we're not fighting with the Federal Reserve. But he he's been so changeable; it's it's hard to know exactly what uh, what what he's going to do. Unfortunately, as Williams pointed out, and. As we've said before, the the Fed is engaged in, in destroying demand because it has no impact on supply. It would be best if the fiscal policy and the monetary policy were in alignment. They are not. The fiscal policy is highly stimulative, which is stimulating demand, and the Fed policy is to cool off demand. So we're still left with a supply problem. You know, China is partially locked down again. So we, we have... we and Right now, we we have more uh, industry moving back to the United States. Um, they you know reshoring is is the jargon for it. But uh, we have we have globalization is is uh, is ending to a considerable extent because it it didn't work out well dur- during this uh, pandemic and with the supply shocks that we are. Experience is still a supply-based problem that the Fed can't cure. So, um, if again, if if you're an individual, uh, you you have to absolutely understand what the impact is. What are the threats to to your income, to your assets, to the way you're invested? You need to know that it's it's not it's not enough to be told waited out that uh, that there's always uh, light at the end of every tunnel and you'll be fine. Don't worry. Don't don't look at your statement. Don't open the mail. Don't look online. Remember, you're a long-term investor, and and don't worry about the short term. I mean that that advice, you know, has a certain amount of validity, but. You know, if you wait long enough, you'll be dead. And, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, John Maynard Keynes made—I don't know if he actually said this—but but he—but he—but he, but he said uh, the market can wait longer than you can because, in the long run, you'll be dead.
2: Yeah, and, and uh, that's good yeah.
0: advice. You know, yeah. I mean,
2: it really is. You know, it's so funny. It's not funny, really. I don't even know if it's by the classic definition of ironic, but. We came out of the pandemic, you know, when we did. It's not as bad as it was, and it's like, yeah, we're charged to go, roll, let's go, and then we're having to be told, oh, slow down. <laughs> and I guess that's yeah. just the natural course of things. But um, we couldn't even enjoy a rebound, really, could we?
0: Well, it's very, it's very difficult because um, I mean, if 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 your advisor is using um, personal software, personalized software then that software is not going to be adequate enough. I use institutional software. Okay, so this is me patting myself on, on the back. Well, if you go to our Money Matters USA site and go to the tab that says fear uh, on it, you, you'll, you'll see how, how the investing cycle actually works. Then try our port, our lim- you get a limited taste of the portfolio crash test. And you can see how we actually take real scenarios and how your portfolio will react. I do, the, we don't save your inputs, so I have no idea what you're putting in there. Try it out. And, Is that and on
2: you, behavior I, resources on your site?
0: Yeah, it, it says behavior. It says, it's a fear diagram of how the, how the typical <laughs> investor reacts. And then you get a taste of our institutional software. And and so we are looking at risk. We understand how to manage risk, how to present it to you, and how to model risk so you can see, actually and realistically, what the impact is going to be on your portfolio. We can model any scenario that is realistic. We don't do hypotheticals. We we only do scenarios that are realistic. Right. We've been, yeah, we've been we've been modeling the uh, the fed fed adverse scenarios uh, for about uh, 18 19 months now and if you look at how you model it the 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 rate curve uh, looks uh, looks kind of butterfly like it looks very very strange uh, but that's that's what happens when you when the shorter term rates are higher than the longer term rate and um, you, you, it, again, you, you, need, um, you need help uh, with, with building a portfolio that moves uh, with a minimal amount of exposure um, to, uh, to adverse risk. I'm not saying there's any such thing as avoiding all risk. You want to avoid risk by 30-year tips. That, that's zero risk. At the end of the 30 right. years, you'll get your money back. Now, in real terms, as William said, adjusted for inflation— you're getting less money back. But in nominal terms, you're, you're, getting, you're getting a zero return. So you'll get all your money back. That's risk-free. Anything other than that has, has risk. So it's a question of how much risk are you comfortable with. And in my view, 5 to 10% overall on the total portfolio is what you should be comfortable with, because that's very easy to recover. With. i mean 5% risk is a, is about you know about 10.6% turn 10, 10% is about a you know about a 20 20.1% 20. return Th- those those returns are possible now there's one other thing that um you know that if well, one to thing I was just
2: going to say Fred we haven't yeah. even gotten into really uh the whole theme <laughs> of this and it's interest rates and how they could affect but I, I, I go ahead but I we're a little we're up against you, the clock a little bit and I, I did want to ask you how can we hedge against interest rates but yeah finish your thought
0: though uh, um okay um the only the the only way that you hedge against interest rates is to be invested in uh, or have your have your money short shorter term in other words the the if if you are a five year a three to five year is is where you want to be with with cash because the returns cash on cash right now are higher than than the inflation rate so on a nominal basis you you actually get you you actually get a return that that exceeds the inflation rate on, on on that three to five year again based on the time value of uh, you know of money. The other way that you that you beat interest rates is by is by a a uh, combination of of, uh, of how you are uh, invested, uh, and that that combination uses uh, different types of of products, uh, it, you know, situated in appropriately but the different types of products can be adjusted so that you you they they either mature at, at different intervals or they or they're generating income for you at, at different points just think of it as a faucet and you're turning the tap on or, or, or off and um, and so you're able to take advantage of opportunity because you have liquidity um, I mean, if if you're going to be just long term and you want zero risk, I mean, you can just put it in a suitcase under your bed. That's that's about right. as good. Right. Well, Because uh, a certificate of deposit <laughs> is not going to do anything. Aren't they better now? For,
2: They're more attractive now, though, aren't yeah, they? they, been
0: they, in a long they time? Yeah, they. are. But you know, a five year, a five year multi year guarantee annuity is well over four uh, percent. You know, so. You know, in that cycle where you've got a, a 45 4.6, 47 percent return, uh, that's going to beat any uh, CD, any, a, and even a three-year uh, um, uh, guaranteed uh, interest rate annuity will, will beat a, a uh, you know eighteen-month uh, CD or a three-year CD, two and a half-year CD. Uh, you, it's very hard. You're not going to be able to probably right, find right. a three-year. A three-year CD. Uh, the the only risk that I see right now, is it's a problem that you always have in a uh, in a high interest rate environment when where um, and where demand is being crushed. You, you have a problem with debt, and and we're starting to see defaults. But that's we are that's
2: seeing a, that, yeah, yeah.
0: So the question is: the the last time this happened, the Federal Reserve ran in, you know, and 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 uh, bought uh, and bought debt, both public and private. So I don't know what will happen. We uh, don't know summer. where we're
2: going. You know, in, in 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 closing here, I did want to ask you. This may be the dumbest question I've ever asked, but I don't <laughs> mind. I really, I'm not embarrassed no, to no ask it. Don't, well, don't no dumb questions. Well, I don't know. Now, I I can ask some doozies. But here we go. I'm going to ask this: Is there a Goldilocks setting for interest rates? And my my point is, they were so low for so long, they they really you had to count out a lot of former options. And we don't want them high, but is there a Goldilocks setting for interest rates?
0: It's a good question. I, I know some people think that there you know that, that there is. Uh, I don't think that there is and I, I think the personally, uh, I don't think that there is. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think that um, that ladders, I think that interest rate ladders are are very very effective, mm-hmm. and, um, and and I I know I'm broke, sound like a broken record, but I think this is a place where uh, you want to use uh, you want to use different uh, income annuities. Make a lot of sense because that they will provide income for your lifetime, yeah. Uh, even if there's no money left in the account, and it takes pressure off the portfolio. So you'll have a bigger portfolio than you would if you were depending on the portfolio a to point. generate income yeah. for you. It takes pressure so, off mean, you, too, <laughs> right? Well, yeah. I mean, there are some people who are going to say, no, no, no. So, okay. So then, then you have to use a dividend uh, approach uh, for, you know, for. Uh, for them the, the, the I think the other thing uh, and I'll, I guess I'll close with this is, is that um, uh, the, the market is highly correlated and, and that means that that stocks and bonds don't always behave the way they're supposed to uh, behave so they're, they're not going to provide you with a with an enormous sanctuary to uh, be, you know to for, for traditional diversification and um, a 6040 portfolio or 5535 portfolio is very, very um, uh, subject to, uh, to, to to shocks, uh, particularly uh, based on what the Fed is doing, as well as the energy policy uh, in this country and, and in Europe. So I don't think you can escape uh, European energy. Um, the Europeans destroyed their energy industry uh, uh, deliberately uh uh but uh but that does impact uh, uh American portfolios and again this this is a matter of being able to model it understand risk uh and understand what's at, what's at stake and, and volatility is not risk but uh, risk is risk is very very different than volatility volatility is is only uh it's only divergence it's it's only how far it is uh, away from the mean uh, and uh, when you're I know it's, it's sounding a little technical, but it's, but if you think of the bell curve, and in the center of it is the mean, mm-hmm. it's how far away from you going left or going right, and those are called standard deviations. Okay, and yeah. We, we, we normally model yeah. those one, two, three on either side, and and there was a point where we had 10 standard deviations one morning, and that's obviously an, an aberration. Uh, you, you just can't model that and say that that's going to happen, uh, you know, just because it happened once or twice is not, uh, you know, is, is not something that, um, that, you, that you can model. But you need powerful enough software, and, and we have it because we're using institutional software, using the same software that the institutions use to, to model. So we can, we can model those. Those scenarios and um, you know and let you see real let you see realistically what you're up against, and then you're in a position to make to make uh, decisions that that impact you. And if you stay with that f- five to ten percent loss range overall, uh, then then the recovery is is relatively quick, and that's what you're looking for is a quick recovery.
2: Well, that's a great conversation. It's actually going to be a, um, an interesting journey. I'll say that. Uh, going through and you know as talking about it each week where we are heading and uh just just being a, a, an eyewitness to where we are now in many ways I, I feel uncharted territory but you also no. can look back at history as Fred did today on the podcast you know it's amazing I wish we had more time sometimes but um it, it's some podcasts it's hard to believe I've heard someone say uh, that we're so complex we're complex creatures. Well we yeah. e- either have an, an an attention span of five seconds or three yeah. hours. Some podcasts go on three hours plus. Uh, That's true. It's amazing. It really is. But good information here, Fred. And and Fred mentioned uh, the website MoneyMattersUSA.net. So please visit that. He encourages you, too. And wherever you are listening to the podcast each week, 800-593-8188 to reach out to Fred. He can make himself available for consultation with you if you call the number 800-593-8188. we got to post it right here on the landing page, too, along with fred's uh, fred's website so there you go wherever you download your podcast it is available for you and we drop them every friday thanks for being with us on money
1: matters usa